Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. It may interest you to know I'm Tony and Marcolini. Today, I have a very special guest with me, best-selling author and filmmaker Robert Whitlow. Welcome, Robert. Hey, Tony. Good to be with you today. Oh, it's a thrill to get to speak to you. Of course, I've read uh, you know a number of your novels. Uh, you're best known for the the legal thriller format, and I'm I'm an attorney myself, so I was always drawn to them. I guess for that reason, and, and to start off with. Um, but I, before I even get into any of your particular uh, uh, you know movies or books, I guess I want to talk to you a little bit about the creative process for you. Um, I know, and there's a great story. You know what, let's just start with that story. Your, your first book, you said you were just a practicing lawyer and you never had any intention of being an author. And so there's a great story about how that came about. Could you tell it? Yes, that's, uh, that's, that's true. That's exactly the way it, it unfolded. Um, I, had, uh, I had no real ambition to be a novelist. Uh, in fact, I would, you know, if I saw a novel sitting on a, a table, you know, I didn't know how that happened. I mean, how did somebody actually do that? Uh, to write all that stuff as a dialogue and have it make sense, it was just, uh, it was certainly a mystery to me and uh, wasn't something I was interested in. But in 1996, um, I was uh, in the car one day making a trip about a five-hour drive, and I just had an idea about a story. And uh, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm from the South. And um, so I'm, I'm a student of history and like history, and I thought, you know, it'd be interesting to tell a story uh, going back to the Civil War time about a secret society that uh, has some money that they smuggle overseas, and this is all passed down through the generations. and Anyway, it was kind of an enjoyable exercise for two or three hours in the car. And when I got home uh, that evening to Charlotte, um, my wife asked me about my week. And I told her, I said, well, let me tell you what happened to me in the car today. And I told her about this. And she looked at me and said, you ought to write that. And I tell you, Tony, I, was, I was, would have probably dismissed that, except something about the way she said it. I said, you know, you need to really think about that. And so that was the origin of my first novel, The List. So how did you begin? I mean, one day you just sat down behind the computer and you said, let me give it a, let me give it a shot. And you found, wow, I have this untapped talent. I mean, how did, how did you actually begin the process? Well, I, uh, first I said, well, it'd be nice to, if I kind of had this inspiration, it'd be nice to just wake up in the night and have it broadcast on the ceiling of my bedroom so I could just dictate it. And when that didn't happen, I uh, turned on my computer and, you know, most, most books that I knew, they began either with Once Upon a Time or It Was a Dark and Stormy Night. Right. So I think it was a dark and stormy night. And I just started, I started writing the story. And I really had no... Uh, ambition for it to be published. Um, I, I had relocated during that time and was just working part-time. And so I wrote the book for my wife and just put all kinds of little stuff in there that I thought she would enjoy. And that whole process took about two, two and a half years. And I found that I enjoyed it. You're kind of say I discovered this huge talent. I'm not sure it was quite that dramatic but I did find that I enjoyed um, you know telling this story and living with the characters and kind of vicariously experiencing what was going on with them and you know that's really part of what you're trying to do as a novelist is create that kind of a world where you can if you're experiencing that uh, with the characters and perhaps a reader can as well so it took about two and a half years to to write the book I took some time off when I spilled a drink on my laptop and fried it. Uh, but I had everything, you know, it wasn't like I lost any material, but uh, then I just pressed through and finished it. And, you know, when my wife Kathy read it, she said, you ought to try to get that published. 
Do you remember? Do you remember where you were or the circumstances around getting the news that it was going to be published? Yes. Um, the uh, what it what had happened? I had. Uh, I've also done some uh, historical essay writing as well, and I had helped a lady uh, condense a unpublished work into a, more of an essay format. And uh, this is way back, this is in 1998 when the internet was pretty benign. And uh, my wife was in a chat room and met this lady and mentioned that I'd written a book. And she said, oh, I know an agent, a literary agent in Nashville. And so I, I called this guy and he said, sure, I'll see what I can do. So I sent it over to him. I found out later, Tony, he didn't even read it. But he dropped it off. He did have a contact that. Thomas Nelson Publishing Company, and he dropped it off, and I didn't hear anything for about three months. And then one afternoon, he called me and said, the, the acquisitions editor uh, couldn't find the last pages of your book, and she wants to finish it. And she located, I found out later, she located those pages. And that's when I knew something was up, because as you probably know, a lot of times the publisher, they're going to read four or five pages to make a decision whether this is something that, you know, meets their interests and standards. So, yeah, that was, I never got turned down. Uh, the, the only, the one and only publisher that it was submitted to uh, wanted to, to sign a contract. And I've been with them. It's now owned by HarperCollins. So I've been with them my whole career. So what was the sensation like? What's the moment like inside? I mean, you, you, uh, celebratory, I have to imagine, <laughs> but what's that moment feel like? Well, I was, yeah, I was happy about it. Um, the, uh, and I was glad that I started another book because, you know, they weren't interested in a one-off. They wanted to try to build a, a brand, you know, is what they call it. And so I'd actually started the trial, which is my second novel. And so I was glad I had that in the works. Um, I think, I think when I finished the first book, it was the realization that I could do this, you know? Yeah. I said, okay, this can happen. And I think it's kind of like digging a well, you know, you untap that reservoir and then you see what else is in there. And um, I'm, I'm a generally kind of low-key, easygoing guy, so I don't get super excited or super depressed. I try to avoid the extremes. But I was, I was really grateful for the opportunity and was interested in what that journey was going to be like. And because I spent my whole career just hanging out with lawyers. I like lawyers. <laughs> but now I'm going to be entering another world. Sure, but this gives you the opportunity to really be creative in a way. I'm mean, sure I think you can find creativity in, in many different forms and in many different uh, types of professions. I mean, I, there's no denying there's an element of creativity involved in being a lawyer and coming up with a strategy for, a, you know, uh, uh, for a case or to try, you know, try a case. Uh, but this is a whole different type of creativity, isn't it? Where we deal mostly in facts, uh, the novelist deals mostly in, in creating characters and their traits and uh, making them believable at wh where there once was nothing, now there's something. Right, so that's a whole different uh, type of creativity. Um, what is your? And I want to get into the to the movie that ultimately comes from the list. But first, I have to I have to return to my original thought. What does the creative process look like for you? I mean, I've talked to many different writers and authors on the podcast, and some, uh, you know, Matthew Dix tells me. I sit down and write at the computer. I can't write anyplace else. I don't create an outline. It doesn't, I mean, I sit down and the characters tell me what they want to say, what they want to do. I have to be there letting them talk to me as I write behind the keyboard. And I've talked to authors and, and screenwriters who say, you know what, I get my ideas because I'm at the supermarket and I see something interesting and I wonder what that person's life is like and it plays in my head for a little bit and uh, and then I outline a story and go for it. Like creativity is sparked, I think, in so many different ways. May I ask, how does it work for you? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And for me, it's, there have been three uh, on-ramps, I would say, to writing a, a novel. One is you know, kind of having that epiphany moment, like I described, where 
you know, I'll just, I've, I've written, I've written a couple of novels based on one I dreamed the opening scene in a dream. And it was back in World War II and all this stuff. And that was wow. that's where it began. Other, wow. I've, I've had, I've written books just because I thought about a character. And I said, it would be so interesting to showcase this type of a personality, this kind of person, and just uh, enjoy getting to know him and see what life would be like. Uh, like I wrote a book about a mentally challenged young boy named Jimmy. And it's one of my, it's, it's one of the closest books to me, to my heart, I would say, because of who he, who he is in the book and who he, what he represents. And then I've also written a number of books that have something to do with a societal topic. And I wrote a book after Columbine. Because right. that was such a horrific thing. And, you know, sadly, that's, you know, it's not proved to be just an isolated incident. And uh, I wrote a book after Ferguson, Missouri. So and sometimes you're sparked by the news. Correct. And sometimes and, just by, uh, uh, you know, the idea just somehow gets to you, whether it's, you know, like you said in the car, it just came to you or, uh, you know, in a dream, in the shower, you're singing a song and there it is. <laughs> and I'm not one that does this. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've heard just like you, I've heard of all the different ways that the creative process manifests. And I will write down a few notes on a pad about about the story. I have some idea of the beginning and the end, but I'm more of a seat of the pants, you know, sit down, get to know the characters, put them in a restaurant, you know, put them on a walk, put them in a, you know, a testy situation, and then I'm along for the ride. And, you know, one of the fun things is those unanticipated twists and turns that happen. It's just so much fun. And so my thought is, well, hey, if I'm enjoying this, hopefully a reader will too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 as a reader, a long-time reader, <laughs> I love your books. Um, so I guess I always wondered what that was like. I mean, because you do, you, you pivot. I think you pivot a lot in your books. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, and I mean that in a complimentary way, like there's surprises or things that you don't, the reader doesn't necessarily see coming. Uh, and I guess I wondered, how does that happen for you? So to a certain extent, I guess you and Matthew Dix have a little bit in common, right? In that yeah. even though you may, you may have some sort of an outline you know, as to the beginning and the end, you too feel like you write at the, at the computer with the characters kind of telling you like you do you create these people that then exist in your head and kind of tell you what they want to say and do yes that's that's very much the case and i generally uh i do just you know work when i am at the computer and you know i'll try to write um you know seven hundred fifty thousand words a day um wow. it's a big project yeah <laughs> and, and just try to keep Steadily moving forward and then trying to, I heard Donald Moss, uh, the New York uh, agent years ago, speak about the importance of micro-tension uh, in storytelling. And that's even, of course, you have the main tension of the plot, what's going to happen, who did it, why they do it, you know, what's going to take place. But then trying to make sure you keep a, a, a certain level of appropriate tension uh, in virtually every scene, because that's, you know, the last thing you want a reader to do is skim or yawn and put the book down. So, that's you know, I, I'm very, very intentional about what could be, it doesn't have to be a big deal, Tony. It could be a small matter, but it, it raises, raises stakes at some level. So I try to, you know, keep that a pretty constant pressure in, in what, I'm, what I'm writing. So make every scene have something, correct? Right? Something that pops a little bit. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be the rule rather than the, than the exception is not to have that. Uh, because if you don't have something going on, you got to ask yourself, does this have a place in the story? You know, <laughs> what are you doing here? Get out of my book. 
<laughs> I love that. Um, so there comes a point in time after your novel is published that you, I assume you get the news that they want to make a movie out of it. Well, the way it worked with my situation is before I signed the first contract, uh, my wife told me, she said, this is going to be a movie someday. <laughs> Boy, your wife, she's oh, yeah. intuitive. Your wife's yeah. intuitive. She's handy to have around. And uh, <laughs> so when I, um, when I negotiated the first deal, I had an agent, but, um, you know, I, as an attorney, Tony, I couldn't help but get my fingers in on it. And so um, I reserved the, uh, out of the subsidiary rights, uh, provision of the contract, I reserved all the movie and TV rights. So I control that for all of my stories from the beginning. And so what that meant, and I don't think, I, I frankly doubt the publisher would have ever, you know, they're in the book business, not the movie business. So I waited for several years until I found a young producer um, that I worked with and then all of the films were independent film projects where we raised the funds and they were, uh, all of them were, uh, were shot here in North Carolina uh, or South Carolina. And so that's how we did it. I went to my buddy and said, do you want to put $100,000 in my movie? And you find out if you've got a $100,000 friend or a $50,000 friend or uh, we're going to pass. So that's what we did. Well, the first movie, I believe, had Malcolm McDowell, correct, starring in it? Yeah. So it was a pretty, it was a pretty big hit. Uh, uh, it was. And having Malcolm accept that role, and, you know, he had a good experience. So when we, when we uh, were going to cast for the trial, which is a murder case, well, the main character is a defense lawyer, and we contacted Matthew Modine. I was just going to say, Matthew Mateen was in yeah. there. And so what he did is he called Malcolm. We found out later. And Malcolm said, yeah, you all work with those guys. And so thankfully we had a, because, you know, we try to treat everybody right and have a, an environment on the set where people can, you know, exercise their creativity. Um, so that's, that's kind of how that works. And what's the, what's the difference for you? Uh, as opposed to being the novelist, which is somewhat isolating, I think you're sitting, you're, you're alone, uh, you're sitting behind the computer, you're, 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 other than the characters in your head, right? You're alone uh, telling your story. But filmmaking is totally different. It's very collaborative, uh, right? They're from the, the script, the turning, you know, the, the, the novel into a script. Uh, that's the paper version of the character, but then the actors come along and they have to put their own spin, make those characters their own uh, from the, uh, you know, the the director, right, who who is the visual storyteller navigating us through the story uh, to the editor who picks the, you know, who selects the just the right and, you know, the cut, you know, or the take that you've done. Uh, I, I think there's so many hands in the creative process with filmmaking to get to the final result. Uh, so that's a, to me, that feels very different. Like one thing feels more isolating. The other one seems very collaborative. And how did you experience those, those different ways to create? Yeah, I could have summarized it any better than you just did. I mean, that's exactly <laughs> the truth. And so, well, I was one of the script writers. And so my role in that room was to help decide what we were going to pull from the novel, uh, what we were going to cut, you know, what was necessary and try, you know, I, I had to, I couldn't be a prima donna about it. I had to be willing. You can't take a 400-page novel and make a 400-page script. You have to take a 200 page novel and make a 100 page script. Yeah, I get so, that. Uh, I was involved in that. <clears throat> um, and then I had a lot of influence in the dialogue if there were going to be modifications because dialogue is, is really my strength and what I enjoy. And then if we had an idea for something that I wish I'd put in the novel, I said, okay, well, let's put it in the movie. Um, so, but in terms of beyond that, on the creative, you know, I had no input um, in the actual filming except in the courtroom scene. 
uh, either I would be there or one of my friends, because, you know, people that, if you don't have a lawyer there, they can make something that would cause a cringe moment in a courtroom scene. For authenticity, so, yeah, sure. For authenticity, I would think you'd need a lawyer there. Yeah, and, and I think one of my, you talk about interacting with the actors, in the trial, the prosecutor was Bob Gunn. And, you know, Bob was the, uh, is probably best known for his role as the warden in the Shawshank Redemption. And yes. Bob, before one of the main scenes, you know, we were back in the jury room at this location. And I mean, he was, this was my, I was better at basis to try to coach Bob Gutt. But what that looked like was Bob telling me what he wanted to do. And we just said, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say anything he suggested because he's such a pro. And, but it was a lot of fun for me uh, to have that interaction. He, and he was the guy that uh, came in that movie, and then he was in, uh, we've done four total, he was in the other two films as well, just because he had a positive experience with us. And, and you know, that was, uh, that was very gratifying. So that was, uh, that was kind of my, my input is mostly with the script. So creatively, uh, would you say you enjoyed uh, the more isolating approach of being the novelist or the more collaborative approach of being a filmmaker? Uh, being a novelist. Uh, yeah. I'm a social guy. I mean, my big question every day, I still work part-time at the law office is who I'm going to have lunch with today. You know, that's, that's what my interest is. But um, <clears throat> it was, um, there's, there's a, there was a, a lot of stress, frankly, related to filmmaking. And um, you know, just a lot of people that had to fulfill their obligations and, you know, and the people that had invested in these films were our friends, a lot of them. So we, even though they knew that this was not necessarily going to be some home run investment, we wanted to make sure that, you know, we did everything we could to make it a reasonable return while at the same time they got to enjoy being part of the process. But there's a lot of responsibility with that, I Sure. And I would think for anybody creative, there is something to uh, to just kind of doing it your way. <laughs> I hate yeah. to say it that way. But I mean, I think when you're writing a novel, not only doing it your, your way, you, you're kind of, uh, you can do almost anything that practically you may not be able to do in a film, right? I, I mean, filming has its own I don't want to say problems, but uh, the logistics of, of filming things a certain way could cost a lot of extra money, a lot of stunt people. Whereas in the book, you can have them do whatever you want, and there isn't that, you know, how are we going to get this filmed moment? Yeah, you're exactly like even with a large group of people. If you're going to shoot a, a scene around a table, that's going to take, it takes forever, you know, because you have to move the lights and everything else. But you can, the one thing about film, you know, of course, the book relies on interior monologue and things like that to reveal what's going on inside a character's head. And, but the ability of a good actor, you know, one of the things I learned just from being around it some, I tell you, you can see who's really got the, the chops when you're watching that monitor, what they can do with their face. And, you know, you hear that's true, but boy, to see it play out, um, the... Uh, that was, and then they can communicate those unspoken things and bring the emotion uh, in ways through their acting skill that it, it's really something to watch. Yeah, I would imagine that has to be true. It also has to be very gratifying to a certain extent to see uh, on that grandest scale, uh, your creation being you know, played out in that manner. That has to be very satisfying. No, yeah. So let's talk a little bit. Uh, you have the Hannah Endowed. Uh, you have these two books that are, I don't want to call them companions, but I mean, I guess one is a sequel to the other, right? You start with Promised Land and then you have your latest one out. Or is it, did I get the names reversed? It, it's Chosen People First and then Chosen Promised People Land. First and Promised Land. Okay, yep. sorry. Yep. So th this is a, these are very interesting new characters, um, you know that 
like I said, it's it's somewhat of a sequel. I, I, you know, you're definitely following the, the same two characters from one novel into the next. Uh, what's you know, where do, are they based on any uh, particular spark? You know, any any real life person you met, or you know, how did they come about? Those two characters, I think they were super interesting. By the way, yeah, well, thank you. I mean, that's and that's a great question. Because, you know, you were talking earlier about my creative process. I'm not a guy that sits, I don't sit around, I don't have a whole file with 14 ideas for a novel. You know, I'll work on a book and then I'm 100% focused on that. And then I don't start thinking about the next one until I'm finished. But there was one exception to that. And that was, uh, for many years, I wanted to write a book that had something to do with Israel and the whole dynamic of the, those people and the, both the Jews and the Arabs and everybody. And <clears throat> the publisher was aware of this. And uh, he would ask me every couple of years, he said, well, is it time to do that? I said, no, no, no. Well, finally, after many, many years, I decided to pull the trigger on it. It was time. So this was something, Tony, that I had in the back of my mind. I've been to Israel many times. I don't even know how many times. Uh, and my wife's Jewish. Uh, she was adopted as an infant, but she was, when she met her birth father, she found out she was Jewish. So she's been even more than I have. So we've spent a lot of time in that region. And, you know, one of the axioms is you write what you know. So I do have some personal knowledge about things. And I thought it would just be, I wanted to do something that incorporated some of that knowledge and hopefully some of the intrigue, because it's an interesting part of the world. And, you know, people are curious about it. It's just like people are curious about the law. They're curious about things that they may not have access to directly. So I decided uh, to, do, to write those stories and, of course, chose Hannah as the main character and let her be a, uh, a Christian Arab, which there's a large number. And uh, she, but she has Israeli citizenship. And uh, just let her be the fulcrum you know, that everything else would revolve around. Maybe she's an attorney. Um, so that's kind of how that developed. And I was, when I started that book, I was kind of like, oh man, I've been wanting to do this so long. What if it's no good? And, uh, but I ended up being pleased. I was satisfied that I was able to kind of do what I wanted to do. Oh, for sure. It's a page turner. Right. I mean, you get about her Jewish grandfather at the end of World War II and stolen artifacts. And I mean, it's it's definitely a page turner. I I guess I'm more drawn to the fact that I thought you created really cool characters like the, the I, I don't know why I'm drawn to the chemistry, I think, between uh, between Hannah and Dodd. And I just um, I just really enjoyed that. There was this, just a great dynamic between the two of them. Well, and see. You're the kind of reader I like. I'll just have to tell you that, not just because you're happy on your podcast, because I so enjoy character. And I, I'm just as happy as I could be just sitting around playing with my characters on my computer. And I have to keep remembering when you got to move this plot forward. You can't just have fun with these characters. And so one of the things that often happens in edit is I have to kind of tone down some of that uh, on my, my character fund, I got to have it, but then I have to kind of trim some things to make things flow a little faster. So, you know, that's that's just warms my heart to hear you say that. That uh, that you we share that, okay? That uh, character is what it's all about. Oh yeah, I mean, I I I agree. I'm definitely more taken in by, and I, I said this on the podcast before. I'm kind of an obsessive reader. So I, I think I read about two books a week. I'm, I'm never without my nook. Uh, I really just enjoy reading. I, you know, my mom uh, took me to the library when I was a little girl for the very first time, and and she shared her passion uh, for books and reading with me, and, and and it's with me today, still till today. So I love to read, and I'm very drawn to characters. Uh, I, I like to find characters that I would like to hang out with, right? Or I think, you know, that that is something interesting about them or different about them or unique. And I really was drawn to these two characters because they, they have this 
the something. There's something there that jumps off the page. There's this dynamic or chemistry uh, that's there that is, is palatable from the reading. Uh, right, we're used to palatable in a courtroom where we can observe somebody start to sweat in the middle of their testimony or develop a nervous tick, or you can push somebody, maybe they lose their temper on the stand. But we're used to palatable meaning something totally different. It's really hard, I think, to create that on the page, right? Yeah. But I, you've definitely captured that uh, on the page. I, I, I loved the two uh, and I, I just thought these were great characters. I was just curious to ask a couple of questions. Like, where did they come from? Did you know some, Did you know people like this? And that's, because they, no, no. so, they feel so real. <clears throat> right, there, there was, that, this particular one was not based on actual people I know. I have done that before. Usually what happens with that is I will, if somebody's going to inspire a character, I'll begin with pretty much what I know about that person. But inevitably, as the character, as I get to know them, then they go off in their own direction, have their own life. But, um, um, you know, I, I just thought that this would, they would be interesting entrees to, to that world and to some of the things that could go on there. Yeah, they were, I say. Well done. <laughs> um, so does your wife read the novels before they go to the publisher does she get like the first you know glimpse the only time we did that was with the list the first novel she would read it every day before i turned off the computer um just as i said earlier i wrote it for her but now actually no she uh what she does for me uh, is when the galley makes come back from the publisher, uh, she goes through those. I don't, at that point, you can still make some changes, but there's a point where you have to say, okay, I'm done. And so I don't even read that because I've already done all the editing I'm going to do, but she will go through that. If she spots anything and says, hey, you need to look at this, then, then that's what I do. So she waits till it's done. Does she ever come to you with any ideas? I mean, I would think sometimes, you know, she may be somewhere where she's, hey, you know what, I, I saw this today, uh, and wouldn't that be a great book? She, her input has been more uh, on women's clothes. I have to admit, <laughs> I'm kind of challenged in that arena, and I will have to ask her. That, now, that happens, of course, during the creative process, but what would a woman wear? In this situation, what are my options? Because I just, you know how women can be in a room and they can describe an outfit and they all understand what the woman's saying. I guarantee you if there are any men in that room, they are absolutely clueless about what just happened. And so uh, she does, I, I should have mentioned that earlier, she does provide that practical help, but not, uh, not much in terms of plot or anything like that. I, one of my... We have four children. Our oldest is a son. He's 40. He works a corporate job. But he's a very talented writer. And he's actually was hired by the publisher for the last six books to be one of the editors. And so I get a lot of feedback from him because he understands me and he can call me out. And, um, you know, he has his way of uh, helping spur me on to something better. So that's been a lot of fun. You know, be able to do something like that with one of your kids. Um, I've really, really enjoyed that. Sure. I would think. I, now, I, I don't know how easy this question is going to be to answer because I think you've had so many uh, amazing experiences, but uh, let's try. Do you have a most memorable moment in your career? I mean, obviously, I know maybe the birth of your children or your marriage. I don't mean personal moment, but do you do you have a most memorable career moment? Like that's just with me, and I'll never forget it. Um. Wow. To pick one thing out. Um, Difficult, right? You've had so many great experiences. There was the second novel. Uh, the trial uh, was selected as the contemporary Christian fiction book of the year right you won uh, that award sure yeah and, and that was one thing about that it was in atlanta at a banquet down there and i'm from georgia originally and, and i'm licensed in georgia north carolina and um when i was in law school um 
I clerked for a firm downtown Atlanta and actually had an offer from them and didn't take it. And um, I think that decision, uh, well, with the hotel we were staying in Atlanta, you could see from our window the office tower where I had worked in Atlanta. And I just remember thinking how different my life would have been if I had taken that job. I might not have had the opportunity that I've had to be a writer. And then to, to go into that, that banquet and then win that award, that was, I don't know, it was a real highlight because it gave me a profound sense of appreciation for the opportunity. I, I do not take any of this for granted. I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to, you know, entertain and inspire people. And that really cemented that for me in a way that uh, I've carried with me ever since. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, sure. I mean, accolades really of any kind uh, in, can be really meaningful in terms of encouraging somebody that they, they've made the right choice or to continue on. But I imagine that type of accolade in particular would be amazing. Yeah, because when I turn that job down, you know, that was the job with the money and the, you know, they were practicing a lot at a high level and I enjoyed that, but ended up deciding that was not the way to go and worked in a smaller town. And, but all of that, you know, a lot of the things that happened in that experience, you know, they became part of the raw material that I've been able to draw from in writing the story. Wow. Now, do you have, do you have a favorite character that you've created? I would say that uh, if I had to pick two, it would be Jimmy, the Millie Challenge Boy. Yeah. And the other one is I wrote a book called Mountaintop. And uh, one of the main characters in that is a guy named Sam Miller, who runs a little landscape business. But, you know, we talked about dreams. He's a big dreamer and a... Uh, a very, very unusual man, and he's actually based on somebody that I didn't know. And so those two characters would be uh, probably my top two. Um, you know, I have to say that Hannah in the Chosen People and Promised Land books, I really, really liked her. I thought she was so dynamic and a powerful woman, you know, with that knew what she thought, why she thought it, but yet had to face some pretty incredible challenges in that. So I have to say she's in my top five, okay? Yeah, um, she, again, I'm, I'm losing, you know, uh, admiration on that. I, I did love her, I thought too. She was uh, just a really interesting character and you're right, a strong female. Yeah, so those would be, uh, and you know, that's one thing, I have an older sister that very, very smart. She's probably a genius. And uh, she made a comment one time that I didn't seem to have a problem with women. And, and I do, I have just enormous respect for everybody, but I really want to be able, you know, as a male, you know, there's all these questions, how can I write about women, et cetera. But, um, you know, I do, I do want to portray, you know, everybody in a way that, uh, you know, even if they're a villain, you know, in a way that has some credibility. Well, Scott Bryce, the actor, once told me that the best way to play a villain, because the first time he had to play a villain in a TV show, I think in a TV show, uh, he said that he asked his father for advice. His father had been an actor. And his father's advice was, when you play the villain, you don't know you're the villain. Right. So you can't play it like, oh, I know I'm the villain because villains think they're justified in everything they do. <laughs> right. They think it's totally reasonable. The choices they're making, they believe they're justified the, to get to the end of what they think is right. So they just don't think of themselves as the bad guy driving the narrative. Yeah, that's you're so right on that. In fact, that's one of the things I'm, I'm just doing the major edit on the novel. And one of the things that I need to lay in in a, a more uh, broadly based manner is why uh, the villain did what the villain did. And this is this involved the death of the guy, whether it was murder or suicide or an accident. And I, I had several potential villains and I actually didn't decide until I finished the first draft. 
because I wanted to keep that tension internally in my own mind about, well, I don't even know who this is. I don't want to tip my hand. And But now that I know, I have to go back through and edit and make sure that there's exactly what you just said, sufficient reason for the person to make the choices they made to that they can justify in their own mind, either, even if it's from a warped sense of reality. But I love that. I love that you wrote this novel not knowing who your villain was almost till the end. Like you were surprised, right? You get to go through uh, and you're trying to, you know, just make them live their lives. And you're wondering yourself, you know, I like that. Yeah, that was helpful in the writing process to keep me from, I think, inappropriately tipping my hand. Yeah, so when is this new novel coming out? <laughs> uh, June of 2023. Also, oh, it's on the it's on the horizon. It's still yeah. in the uh, in the uh, the pre. Yeah, yeah they, the way the novel will be finished in September, but just the marketing cycle, um, you know, that's just how it goes. Oh, I'm excited! <laughs> now you have me really interested in the new book. Any spoilers? <laughs> Uh, no. No spoilers. <laughs> well, I hope when it comes back, though, you'll come back and talk to me about it after I have a chance to read it. <laughs> uh, so, in your, would you say in your career, I mean, you've, you've done, you've practiced law, you've been a filmmaker, you've been a novelist. Inside, what do you see yourself as? Do you see yourself as an attorney still? I mean, do, do, is your knee-jerk reaction, I'm a, you know, you know, one of those careers? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think it, it's part of, and this is one thing I want to encourage other people is, um, you know, you can really multitask in life and enjoy it. And um, the, uh, so it'll, I would say generally when I, you know, saying who I am, I'm a, uh, I just introduced myself as a lawyer. And, uh, but, uh, you know, if I get in conversation with somebody, you know, I will, it'll, it'll often come up and usually it does, and I'm also a writer. And uh, so I think that I will probably write, my goal is to write longer than I practice law. Uh, so I don't know what that would tell about that. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've found, you know, both to be rewarding and, you know, personally gratifying. Do you have advice for young writers? Um, the biggest thing I hear uh, from uh, from writers is that you can't get anything published without an agent and agents are almost impossible to get. And, uh, and many young writers, they have, you know, four books on their, uh, you know, on a zip drive and and no path forward. I mean, I know things kind of happened for you. Uh, it sounds like you were you were blessed. Like it just the, the right you, the right door opened at the right time. What advice could you give to young writers who, let's say, aren't getting that same opportunity? Yeah, I think uh, you know I have some books that I recommend they look at in terms of how to make their work the most professional that it can be, so that an editor doesn't look at it, an acquisitions editor, and say. Well, there's some of this story, but I don't want to take the effort to try to make this into something that's publishable. So one of those books is Self-Editing for Fiction Writers by Brown and King. Uh, I read that book in 1998, didn't even know that it's really one of the more well-respected books about writing in the industry. Um, I found it to be very, very helpful. Um, also, The Writer's Journey by Michael Vogler. Um, which is kind of a synopsis of the Joseph Campbell Man with a Thousand Faces, which is a famous, he's a famous Harvard professor that influenced George Lucas and Star Wars. And those are things that help, uh, help anybody understand the craft of storytelling. Uh, I also tell young writers to, uh, you know, think of something that is comparable to what you've done that's successful. Because that's what editors are looking for. You know, one of the reasons that I had an open door when I did was John Grisham's success. 
And so this was in 1998, 1999, and he'd been successful. And so publishers were looking for uh, a legal writer to fill that niche in there and they're stable. And I came along at the right time on that. But, you know, if you're writing in a genre that, you know, it, it, people will tell me, oh, nobody's right, has written anything like what I've done. And I, in a sense, that's true. But I usually tell them that's probably the worst thing you can say because a publishing house is looking for something they think they can sell. And if they can, if it can be compared to something successful legitimately, then, you know, that may help you get a foot in the door. The whole self-publishing thing too, Tony, has changed everything, but it's still tough for somebody to get traction. You know, you can certainly have a book posted on Amazon, but unless you have a platform, you know, how's anybody going to know about it? Right. Um, but I think comparing it to something successful and making sure your manuscript is absolutely as professional as possible. You know, those are two of the things that I often say when I get those calls. Sure. And what was it like to transition to, I want to say celebrity status for you, right? So you you go from lawyer to filmmaker and and best-selling author. Uh, did it change anything about you or your personality to transition like in that manner? Well, you know, I have a, I try, I have a sense of humor, uh, somewhat kind of dry sense of humor from my dad. And this is what I try. I take what I do seriously, but I try not to take myself too seriously. And <clears throat> so, um, you know, it's, I mean, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, and I sure don't want that, either one of those. So, uh, you know, I just remind myself of that and that, you know, I've been blessed with an opportunity and make the most of that, uh, but not get too wrapped up in who I am. So I joke about that sometimes. I mean, I do go, I was someplace Saturday, and a woman came up, and I mean, I had to introduce myself to registry for something, and she said, are you, are you Robert Whitlow, the writer? I said, yeah. So you have to handle that in a, you know, just a friendly, you know, if you, if you act like a jerk, then that's, that's just bad. So I try not to act like a jerk. <laughs> well, you know, it would be, I'd, it would be hard to imagine you in that setting. You <laughs> truly are just a, a very engaging, uh, kind man. My experience with you has been very positive. Uh, so it's hard to imagine you in that light, but I would think for any person to go, I mean, lawyers, of course, I mean, you're well-known amongst your own peers, perhaps, but not outside of that group. Uh, so I would think to go from that to being a best-selling author, I mean, your books have been monstrously successful. Uh, I would think that that's, you know, that's not an easy thing. Uh, although, I mean, not, not the same as a film star where you're going to be recognized everywhere you are, still everyone knows your name. So to the extent that, you know, you're someplace and somebody knows, like this woman said, are, are you the author? I mean, you're, you're, you're going to be a big deal wherever you are. So I would think that has to have an impact on you. Yeah. And then what you do is, you know, I, and it's genuine. I'm not faking this. I mean, I'm really interested in other people's stories. You know, if you and I were going to, you know, take a trip together. We had to drive for three, three and a half hours somewhere. I guarantee you by the time we got there, I would have learned everything you're willing to tell me. Because I'm so, I've always, even before I was a writer, I've always been interested in people and what they, and their stories. And I grew up in this kind of Southern environment where we visit relatives, you know, they're sitting around talking about their lives. And I'm just a little guy sitting there Take it all in, you know, because I, I love that sort of thing. I imagine there's some connection to that, to, you know, there. I like to say there's an element of historical fiction in, in, in your books uh, often, and because you do kind of take people through, as you said, the news inspires you. Um, so there isn't just the traditional sense of a legal thriller. I think you're, you know, you are, you're appealing on a number of different levels. As you said, you were honored, uh, you know, with award because, uh, you, you know, you're, you know, you're a Christian writer. Um, 
but I, I think there's also elements of historical fiction in a lot of your books. At least that feels yeah. that way to me, even though you're not categorized in that manner. Uh, there is a historical fiction element, which, of course, is, is all the rage today, right? There's a lot of historical fiction out there right now. Yeah, and people want to learn something when they read a book, and I'm aware of that. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm not trying to, you know, I, I'm not up to writing something with a heavy-duty physics component, but, you know, there can be things people love to learn. And that's one of the most enjoyable ways to do it is through a story. Sure. And I would think that that because you've been interested your whole life in people and their stories and where they came from, that has to have, you have to have this enormous, you know, file cabinet in the back of your head, uh, you know, tapping into different journeys and different time periods uh, that I imagine is very helpful when you're writing. Yes. Yeah, because I mean, I will, like I said earlier, sometimes a major character will be inspired by somebody, and sometimes there'll just be some anecdote uh, from, anecdote from, you know, a conversation I had with a client on the way to court sometime, and I'll just, it'll just come back and I'll just toss it in. Well, Robert, it's been a pleasure. Uh, to, to spend some time with you. I meant what I said earlier. I hope that you'll come back when your new book comes out and talk to me about it. Okay. No, um, I'm glad to. I've enjoyed you. You've, uh, you've been paying attention to the people you interview. You really, you hit so many things right on the bus. Yeah, I, I really enjoy conversations with creative people. I, I mean, I'm fascinated by that, you know, by that you can take something where there was nothing and make something that everybody wants to read or know about. And it all starts, you know, in here somewhere. And I'm really fascinated by that. And creative people are are super interesting, you know, in their process and, and how they come up with the anything. Like I said, I've, I've interviewed editors that I've been fascinated by in the process they go through to, to pick what they're going to edit. Um, so I'm, I, you're, you're very engaging and interesting. And uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. I'm a fan of your work. I do read your books. Uh, so it was a great honor to get to spend some time with you. Thank you. Thank you. And I will be in touch when I hear your new book is out. I'm going to okay, read it. be back in touch to have you back. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Robert. All right. Thank you.